0: God. He takes away my sin. I want to take us back to actually a reading from last week because probably, you know, what we may not see in that piece of text out of First John is, is that there are a couple of main themes that are going on. Last week, of course, we talked about who are we I mean, who are we? We were talking about John addressing the people that had come wondering where he got this authority and just who he thought he was. And last week we we touched on that, and then I parked it because it was time for communion and it was time for us to to spend time for, with the Lord and to pray for one another. But I want to come back to this piece of text. This Today we're going to be reading from... Uh, from John chapter one verses uh, twenty nine to thirty four there'll be some some supplementary texts of course that we'll go to uh as we look at this theme today but let's let's start let's start right here let's start in the Word of God in uh John's gospel and the John that of course we're referring to here is John the Baptist, John the baptizer. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him. Look, he said, there's God's lamb. He's the one who takes away the world's sin. He's the one I was speaking about when I said, there's a man coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I didn't know who it would be. But this was the reason I came to baptize with water so that he could be revealed to Israel. So John gave this evidence. I saw the spirit coming down like a dove out of heaven and resting on him. I didn't know who it would be. But the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, when you see the spirit coming down and resting on someone... That's the person who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Well, that's what I saw, and I've given my evidence. He is the Son of God. Yeah, well, here we are. I'm wanting to welcome you into this this second in a series that talks about the revelation of the Lamb of God. Last week, we entered into the centuries-long practice of Lent. We introduced that. Easter, Easter celebrates, it's a celebration. It celebrates the resurrection of Jesus after his death on the cross. Oh, death, where is your sting? This is the season that we come into that we're preparing ourselves for, the 40 days of Lent. It recalls events leading up to and including Jesus' crucifixion by Rome but Easter is coming, the resurrection is coming. As I shared last week, at its core, the practice of Lent represents two significant accounts of spiritual testing for God's servants in our Bible. The first account is reflective of the 40 years that Israel wandered in the desert after their exodus from Egypt. They wandered in the desert in preparation and waiting to enter into the promised land, to enter into the promises that God had stored for them and set apart for them. And not only them, but their forefathers before them. The second account is based on the 40 days that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. Whereupon he endured temptations by Satan and was prepared to begin his public ministry. Are you going through testing right now? (laughs) Are you going through dry places? Is it feeling arid in your life? Well, maybe God's at work in you preparing. I think like Shauna's word said to us today, God's engaged. Maybe you don't feel him. Maybe you're not sure where he's at, but God's engaged. He's present. And just as the Spirit of God sustained his people in the desert and taught them how to sojourn with God, I'm asking the Spirit in this season, I'm asking the Spirit to lead us, to work on and to affect the trajectory of our lives and the trajectory of this church. And just as John's eyes were open to see the Spirit descending on the world's prophesied Savior... I want the Spirit to better open the eyes of our heart to behold this Lamb of God. Again, I refer back to what Shauna gave us here as a word. Every once in a while, I feel like the window opens just a little bit more and I get another taste and sight of him. keeps me wanting to come back for more. Behold the lamb of God who takes away our sin and the sins of this world. Last week we we celebrated communion, we prayed for one another. But before we did that, we paused to reflect on that important question, who am I? Who are we? Who who are we not? John the Baptizer's life, I asserted, reminded me that we all need to be awakened to the nature and the reality of God himself. I'm not talking about just being aware of your inner being. That's, you know, it's good if you know some things about what's going on in there. But knowing God himself. Because you know what? He knows exactly who we are. And how he sees us. As I considered this, I was looking at this Psalm 139 through through the week here. 139, and I just, you know, I just picked up on these things because I was I was looking for that scripture verse that reminds me that he he even sees me in the hidden places. He sees me in those places where nobody else can see me. He sees me when I often don't see myself who I am and who I'm becoming. He is God who created our inmost being. David, our famous King David, pointed this out, inspired by the Spirit. He is God who knit you together in your mother's womb. He is God who saw your unformed bodies. And he is God who is determined, who's ordained, who's, written down all of the days of your life, even before you came into life. I mean, like if we know anything about the two characters of our story, we know that John came knowing his purpose, didn't he? I mean, he was still working it out. He was actually still looking for a revelation of that one that he was was getting the roadways ready for, getting people's hearts ready to receive. Jesus came knowing exactly who he was and why he had come. God wants us to know who we are and why he's put us here. It's the work of his spirit. It's the work of the holy scriptures I contended that reveal God to us that awaken our God-created identity and that's inexplicably joined to him, our identity. It's the work of his Holy Spirit to affirm and to reaffirm and to reveal and to reveal again his love for us and his coming into this world. Because see, like John, we need a revelation of the Spirit to see him at work, don't we? That's what I love about this story. It's the, it's the, the God I am. It's the God who's present. It's the God in the moment who is working on me and who has been speaking to me and then is suddenly at work in my midst. John the baptizer clearly knew who he was and who he was not. And famous for many things, but the central and most important role he has in our New Testament is to point away from himself because he was garnering quite a reputation, wasn't he, out in the desert? That voice crying out in the desert, make straight a way for the Lord. But he was pointing away from himself, and he was pointing towards Jesus, to God's Lamb. Right from the beginning of John's gospel, Jesus' disciple gives away the entire plot line for the book. Have you ever read books like that? Well, this is, that's, his book's all about that. He's entirely giving away you know, the ending right at the beginning of the story. And he's telling us why things end up the way that they do. Jesus, the Lamb of God, came to die a sacrificial death for the sins of this world. And not only for the sins of this world, but he came to die for my sins too, and yours, and yours. Flash forward to the end of John's story, Jesus' crucifixion takes place on the afternoon when the Passover lambs were being killed in God's holy temple. Do you think it a coincidence? <laughs> no. What is the unmistakable conclusion? Jesus is the true Passover lamb. He's the one that has always been the foreshadow of the one who's to come. You think of sacrifice upon sacrifice of blood spilled and pouring out over the temple to cleanse the people from their sin. It was all a foreshadow for Jesus ultimately coming to give his life for us. Jesus is the true Passover lamb, but like the Exodus story where we see God rescuing his people from under the oppression and the bondage of Egypt, so too God was now bringing a new people out from under an even older in a darker slavery to sin. But who are the new people? Who are we to be looking for? In the original Exodus story, Israel was saved and brought out from the dark powers of the world. Out from underneath the demonic and the enslaving powers of Egypt and out from under the might of the Egyptians and Pharaoh himself, the mightiest nation on the world at that time, breaking over 400 years of slavery. But now, according to John, God's lamb is going to take away the sin of the world itself. God's plan to redeem mankind is moving out. God's desire to save is stretching out beyond Israel to conclude the whole of creation and John was already setting up the narrative in the introduction of his good news account. In First John here, or John, sorry, chapter one, verse nine, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made known through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who has he come to save? All of us. Who are these new people of John's gospel? Well, it's hard to see there, isn't it? Squint a little. But yeah, his salvation is for anyone who will receive him and follow him. John the baptizer, whose namesake means God is gracious or God's gift. He understood this. Don't for a moment think, that he came to this revelation on his own. (laughs) But his understanding, it was informed by a love of God. A love for his word. And I would add a, a love for his parents who modeled a love for God. And it was informed by the love and the spirit of God that had filled him since the time he was being formed in those hidden places that David talks about in the Psalms, in that place where we're all being formed. God, who is gracious, he quickened the prophet's heart with a revelation that clearly pointed to the the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world foundational to John's evidence Jesus is the one whom god's spirit comes down on and rests Jesus is the one who will baptize not just with water like John who preached and baptized for repentance but he will baptize with the holy spirit of god himself in Matthew's account, maybe some of you, when you think about that particular verse out of John, maybe, maybe this comes to your mind. He, that is Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. There's some of us here who really like that. Don't forget the fire, David. <laughs> poor, poor Ellen and Jim, they're up north and... And now it's all excited in the spirit and he's, he's, at, he's inviting the Holy Spirit to come with fire on the people there and they're getting all upset because they'd seen enough of fire and they didn't want that. So it was... <laughs> so. You don't get one without the other. I guarantee you that. That if you... Inv- you truly want to open yourselves up to the spirit of God, you are going to experience the fire of God. I'm going to, I will speak to that. Not so much. Do you remember that I said that the author, John, was always giving away the plot line, right? That's what he does in his gospel here. Right from the beginning of the story, he's giving things away. But the baptizer's testimony also provides us with another critical activity of Jesus' coming. God has sent his love. He sent it in the form of his son to come to restore and awaken that love in us. I love what Romans 5.5 says, what Paul writes here, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Love is like a burning fire. (laughs) I think there's a song or two about that in there. Jesus' work includes the important infilling of God's Holy Spirit. But it's only in the final scene of John's gospel that the spirit is given, like really given to Jesus' followers, isn't it? Like he prayed, he gave them authority, he sent them out, but we see here at the end of John that it's only then, it's only when the lamb has been killed for the sins of the world, only then can the spirit of the living God be poured out and upon and in his people. Only when the temple of our hearts have been made clean and ready by the cleansing sacrifice of God's lamb can the spirit and presence of God truly come to rest and to live in us. They go hand in hand, do they not? Looking ahead in John's gospel to the evening of the first Easter day, the resurrected Jesus appears before his disciples. And he records that he breathes on them. John chapter 20, verse 21. So picture it. The disciples are fearful. (laughs) They're locked up in a room. thinking at any minute, those guys are coming for them too, right? They are traumatized. And they've been traumatized for day upon day and into the third day. And behind the locked door, they huddled together. (laughs) Jesus walks in know that he opened the door. I think he just like walked in, didn't he? Just, I think he did that for a fact. He could have knocked on the door, but I think he probably figured it out. If I knock on the door, they're never going to open it, I'm sure, but I mean, I'll just walk right in. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Great opening line, Jesus. And with that, he breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Yeah, wow. I mean, John, I mean, you'll read the gospel accounts. They have all got things that they want to say and emphasize, don't they? But John... You know, he hasn't wasted anything. This is what he says. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. That's pretty powerful. Wow. Really? So, what happens if I hold back? If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. As I've been pressing into the just sort of the many scriptures that. Around what we've been preaching on these last couple weeks. And as I deeply considered this season of Lent in our preparation for the festival of Easter, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit and John's call inviting me to make a way for the Lord. It seems that he wanted to sort out some troubling issues on my heart. He had my attention. A week previous, Deb was an eyewitness of my own troubled spirit. In her dialogue with one of our dearest friends, she surmised that it was because I hadn't been able to uh, start my day off with that coveted time of quiet and peace. It had been three days. Our house had been thrown into a fantastical chaos when our two grandchildren were dropped on our doorstep. And for two sleep-interrupted nights in three days. <laughs> now, I should really pay more attention to the cat who runs and hides himself for most of that time. <laughs> but all kidding aside, we, honestly, we had a brilliant time with our grandchildren. Didn't get a lot of sleep, but we had a brilliant time. And our house didn't look anything like it looked before they arrived. And yeah, there's more scratches in the walls and dents in our hardwood flooring. Why on earth did I not buy vinyl? I don't know, but. But they represent some of the greatest delights of our life, our grandchildren. But in truth, I have been watching the development on the news. And some of you are going to go, oh, the news. And I found my complaints rising up against things that I was following. Do you ever experience that? And I confess to you that they were largely tied to the unrest and unlawful protests that were shaping up across our nation. The wet sweats and territorial disputes in the north had gone viral. It had gone viral on social media and news outlets, and everybody with a cause had something to march for Unawares, the continued newscasts of politicians, activists, and gloom had been needling away in me. I, really, unaware. I should have been smarter, but I wasn't. And I found myself caught up in the frustration. And going into week three, the fruit of it was coming out of the confessions of my mouth not to be repeated. I found myself saying things under my breath that were utterly unloving. And I knew it. They were anything but Christ-like. And when I finally awakened to the state of my heart, you could say I finally came to my senses. I was reminded of the days gone past when I used to watch my dad. I used to watch him grow on unconsolably consumed, worried, vocalized, and angry at the newsworthy events of his own day. had flashbacks to the kitchen table, often piling over with newspapers, toast, and coffee in the mornings, not with daily devotionals, newspapers. They were read like a daily devotional, but they were newspapers. And I used to wake up on the weekend mornings wondering what kind of mood I was going to find my father in when I scuffled into the room. Maybe you guys know, know that what that feels like. But the short of it was is I was living out of the testimony of why the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness of God had come. Graciously, I... I was made aware that I needed to turn and wash myself of my, really, I'm gonna say it, sinful disclaimers, the things coming and breathing out of me, and I I needed to yield my heart again to the Spirit and the love of God. As I went to the Lord about these things, the Father took me to four different occasions in my life. (laughs) Four occasions where I had been physically and verbally threatened, even with death, in my dealings with my indigenous friends. And I, you know, I, I considered whether I should even bring this story up, but I think it's relevant. What I hadn't realized was just how impacting those situations had been on my heart and spirit. You ever have stuff in your life that you just <laughs> show down, get on? Admittedly, I got to admit, I had been fearful about sharing any of it with anyone around me because it made me feel pathetic and weak, like I needed to man up and just suck it up and get on, right? Right? Now, I'm not claiming to be complicit and innocent, at least in a couple of situations when I was younger. My best friend in my life through growing up years was himself indigenous, but I quite honestly didn't see him any differently than I saw myself. I didn't see the color of his skin versus the color of my skin or where he was raised with where I was raised. He was quite simply the young boy who Hmm. This is where I have a tough time. He was the young guy who welcomed me into his life. He was the first and only person in my life who invited me to vacation Bible school. I didn't even know what that was. He invited me to that outreach during a summer vacation. And after it was done, I still didn't know what that was, but he invited me. But he's the guy that saved me from the trauma of moving into a new city. You remember that as a kid? He's the guy that came to me when I was feeling pretty isolated and invited me over to his house. And for many years, we got in a lot of trouble together. He was awesome. (laughs) But what I'm sharing to you is that I got real with the Holy Spirit, or he got real with me. Probably he started the issue. He got real with me. I confessed my participation in situations gone wrong. And I chose, and I I realized I'd never done it before, but I actually chose to forgive each one of those boys and men in my life whose threats of violence had left their mark in me. I even forgave my dad. He wasn't always the easiest guy to be around. But I knew he loved me. And, And I know today, that he's gone to be with Jesus. But these confessions ushered in healing in my heart. I wasn't even looking for them, and they found me out. These confessions ushered in a real peace in my spirit. And it also changed, if you can believe this, it also changed how I interpreted the events that were broadcasting on the news. Changed everything. (laughs) By some rather bizarre twist of God's handiwork in the spirit, God used those unsettling events to help me get free and heal from issues that I had. No idea were living inside of me, none. None. Instead of sinful and biting complaints rising up in me, I've felt a deep and abiding love calling me to pray for real peace and real reconciliation beyond just words. The thing that our nation really is truly crying out for and doesn't know how to get. Oftentimes, the emotions that we suffer with... (laughs) They have to do with, sometimes with unwarranted sins that have been committed to us. I mean, when I was just trying to mind my own business and I'm being chased down a lane by a bunch of guys in a gang who threatening violence and trying to take things from us, the kid, I didn't know where that was going to end. Anger in itself is not sin. I just want to give you that ticket right there. But the Bible does say don't sin in your anger. If you're dealing with anger in your life, be aware that it's 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 trying to tell you something. Something's going on in you. Pay attention. When you came to Jesus, you didn't throw your your emotions away. They're real. They're telling you something. They're not always telling you the truth, <laughs> but they are saying something to you. They're like a barometer. Are there any of you here today that are suffering with some effect of anger? Are there any of you experiencing some unwarranted negative emotion? Do you know what negative emotions are? (laughs) Uh, Just ask your best friend or your spouse. (laughs) Ask them if this is normal. And if they suffer from the same thing you suffer from, don't ask them. that find somebody else <laughs> or conversely are, are you experiencing a, a total shutdown of your emotions to a point where you're not feeling really anything at all that's saying something to you Are any of you struggling and acting out in ways that aren't glorifying to God? Maybe only ways that you know about, They typically are. Then I want to encourage you that Christ died to usher in healing and forgiveness. And his blood still speaks. The sacrifice still holds. The sacrifice is powerful. It's a sign, his covenant to you and I that I love you this much. He still bears the scars, the wounds from what he's suffered. The resurrected Jesus. I included the whole of John's text. I'd included it precisely because it points us towards two very important activities that we must embrace. We've got to grab a hold of this ongoing work and activity of Jesus who baptizes us with that transforming love and power that is his Holy Spirit. Never get weary of the work of God's Holy Spirit and asking him to come. And secondly, we have to invite the important work of proclaiming, proclaiming God's forgiveness. This, it's called good news for a reason, folks. <laughs> it's good news. And we need to do it. We need to begin by exercising forgiveness in your life. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. That is very powerful. Your life, that's all you got. And as I've said to you before, your life is your testimony. It's the most powerful good news that you carry around with you. If we want to carry on seeing the power of sin broken in this world, if we want to see our nation walking in true love and true freedom, then it must be alive and evident in us. Are there any areas in you where you are experiencing some discomfort right now? Maybe this week make a Make a determination to keep short accounts with people. Look for ways to proclaim God's forgiveness, his love, and and to practice it in your own life. Invite the Holy Spirit to show you what's, what's going on with you.